Welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. My name is Angel Clark, and I'll be your host. Everyone goes through difficult things in life, but it takes a special type of person to use their pain to help others. That's exactly the kind of people you're going to hear from here on Encourageous. Each episode will tell the story of someone who not only survived their struggle, but is thriving. Join us for vulnerable, firsthand testimonies that will inspire you to press on. Get ready to be encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Encourageous podcast. I hope you guys have had a wonderful couple weeks since we have last been together, virtually, of course. Um, I just want to remind everyone that if you could go to whichever podcast platform you're listening to and either rate or subscribe, or I know on Spotify you have a follow option. If you would do that, that would mean the world to me. Um, I always try to interview people who I think have good stories, and right now with all the craziness that's going on in the world, I feel like it's more important than ever. So if you could just help me in that area, I would so, so, so appreciate it. All right, well today I have an awesome guest here with me. Her name is Savannah Parview. So Savannah, welcome. Thank you. Of course, okay, so can you just give us like a little quick bio, you know, about who you are. Well, I am Savannah Parview, and I am a survivor of familial trafficking, mm. and I am passionate about sharing my story with other people to bring awareness and to help others who are either experiencing the mm. same thing I was or that have experienced it. Yeah, and that's awesome. So the reason I was able to even find out about your story was I was on Facebook, and there was a, a news segment, I think it was like Channel 13 you were saying earlier, which is where you talked a little bit about your story, and I just was blown away because a lot of people go through hard things. We'll get more into this, but with your story, you've actually really, really helped a lot of people. So I was so just amazed by what what you've been able to do in this area. Um, I actually have an episode about human trafficking. If you go back to episode 13, it's called Hidden in Plain Sight for anyone who wants to listen to that. I don't like to repeat topics, but yours, I just, I mean, I couldn't pass up. Like Once I heard your story, I'm like, okay, this girl has to be... Everyone needs to hear this story. So for anyone who has not been able to hear your story, will you kind of share it with us? Yeah, I grew up in Central Florida. I have two older brothers that are 8 and 10 years older than me, so it's kind of like I was an only child. Mm. Both of my parents were drug addicts and alcoholics. Mm. And I remember before I started kindergarten, I was always told that you don't talk about what happens at home or Mm. you'll be taken to a bad place. And I never knew what I couldn't talk about, just that I couldn't talk about what happens at home. Mm. And I started being sexually abused around the age of five Mm. by a neighbor. But then when my dad had a stroke when I was nine that left him disabled, my mom started doing other drugs. And she was just doing anything she could get her hands on. Mm. And so I went to live with her and her boyfriend and at that point things got even crazier i was left home alone for days the weeks at a time my mom started going out at night stealing stuff so she would have money for drugs and then she eventually started prostituting herself and i knew what she was doing and there were times i would go with her and wait for her because i was afraid that if i was at home she wouldn't come home for a couple days So when I was 11, I went with her, and her drug dealer offered her $10 for me Mm. instead of for her. And so she told them that 
he could do whatever he wanted. And so he took and sold me to other people. Ugh. And then that became like a, like a normal thing. Mm. And so I was sold from the time I was 11 to 13. And um, when I was 13, I ended up watching both of my parents try to commit suicide. And at that point, I was taken to foster care, not for anything that had happened, but because I didn't have a parent available. And when I went to foster care, I started cutting myself because I wanted to know what it felt like when they did it. And so back then, cutting wasn't as common as it is now. So I was moved from group home to group home and then eventually placed in a residential treatment center that was also a group home for kids in foster care. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, the staff were friends with my trafficker. And so I started being trafficked while I was in foster care. But then when I was 15, my oldest brother got custody of me. Mm. And I went to live with him and his wife. But I didn't want to be with them. I wanted to be back with my mom because even though it was horrible, that was normal to me. Mm. And I felt like Mm. there was no point in going to school because nobody in my family graduated. So I assumed I wasn't either. So I spent a lot of time with my high school guidance counselor because I didn't want to go to class. She knew that I was abused um, and in foster care, but she didn't know anything else. But she spent time with me and Eventually, I started going to church with her and her family. She has two kids that were around the same age as me. Mm -hmm. But eventually, they became like family to me. And they encouraged me that I could, even though nobody else in my family graduated, I could still go on and graduate. And I did really well. I graduated, went to college, and I still wanted a relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so there were times I would go and see her and then I would end up being trafficked again. Oh my goodness. And that happened all the way up until seven years ago when I went to see her and ended up being gang raped by seven people and sold online. And that's when I finally went to see a therapist. Yeah. Because you were like, okay, this is obviously, you know, this is a a pattern. This isn't like a one-time thing. Like this is habitual. Yeah, I knew that if I didn't get help, I was going to end up being killed. Ugh, that's crazy. I just can't even, like, hearing your stories just as a mother, I mean, there's nothing in the world you want to do more than protect your children. So I can't even, to think of how, what kind of mental state your mother must have been in to even, you know, allow this to happen is just beyond me. I just can't even imagine. Um, Was your mom abused also as a child, or what kind of led her into her addiction? I'm not sure if she was abused Mm. or not. I know that, like, her and my dad smoked marijuana, and they sold it. Yeah. But after he had a stroke, she got involved with one of the neighbors who was doing crack, Mm. and then she went downhill from there. Yeah. Because I hear a lot, um, I read this book, I don't know if you've heard of it or not, it's called Girls Like Us. Yeah. Yeah. You've read it? Yeah. Incredible book. Hard to read. Really, really hard to read. Yeah. But definitely, especially in your case, it might have a lot of triggers in it even. I didn't think about that. But for me, it was just incredibly hard to read. But one of the things that she said is that, I think it's a crazy high number. I think it's like 90% of girls who have become victims of trafficking had prior sexual abuse. Because a lot of people think, oh, you know, if you're poor or if you're a foster child or all these other factors that contribute. And the number one thing is a prior victimization is what because like you said you you didn't know any different yeah so if you have already been abused especially as a young child then 
you're just gonna like you you're just gonna be like okay well this is how how life is you might not know any different so from the time you were 11 until when was it well like consistently it was from 11 to 15 okay but then it didn't actually completely end until I was 26 oh my gosh that's crazy something that you mentioned well I I saw also on Facebook that you shared you were a part of a documentary I think it was called invisible yes yes Um, one thing that really stuck out to me was that you said that there were multiple points of when people could have intervened. I mean, this was years that you were dealing with this, but no one really kind of spoke up or acted on your behalf. So can you talk about some of those missed opportunities? Yeah, but there are a lot of times where, like, I was taken to a hotel sometimes, Mm. and the staff at the hotel they knew what was happening, and they actually assisted my Ugh. trafficker in trafficking me by oh opening gosh. the door and letting people in so that he didn't have to stay there. Wow. And, like, I was out in public a lot, mm. and people may not have realized, like, exactly what was happening, yeah. but they should have picked up on, like, that I was always alone. Mm. I was 11 or 12 walking down main highways. Wow. I would go to school and ask my teachers for detention Mm. so that I didn't have to go home right after school. And they would let me stay, but nobody ever asked why I didn't want to go home. Wow. And, like, I don't have a lot of pictures of me from when I was younger, Mm. but most of the ones I do have are of me in the hospital. Mm. So there were several times that people could have picked up on me being abused um, when I was in the hospital. Mm Mm-hmm. And then also, when I was in foster care being trafficked, I was taken to the doctors a lot, and I would have bruises, cuts, broken bones, and of course, because I was cutting myself, it was always turned on me, Mm. like I was the one doing it. And I never got a chance to speak because they spoke for me. Ugh, that's terrible. Because I think about now, um, like when I take my kids to the doctor, you know, they always, like, there's, like, little, like, oh, is everything okay at home? Like, there's this little, like, checklist. But I can't imagine how that must be. Because in my case, like, if my kids have a cut or bruise, there have been times where I've been nervous to go to the doctor because I'm like, oh, no, what if they think that, like, you know, and they're, they're like, they're little boys, they're going to get hurt. But so I, I just wonder if there's some sort of way, like, how can doctors talk to the kid if, if they suspect a child is being abused, you know, without having the parent or the quote-unquote caretaker in the room. I wonder if that's something that, I mean, maybe can be, you know, worked on from this point on. Because if, if you think someone's in danger, there should be a way that, because unfortunately with a minor, you almost always have to have parental consent for anything. So at the doctor, same thing. They have to, I have to sign papers saying that it's okay for them to treat my kid. So I wonder if there's some sort of way moving forward that, you know, that can be put into legislation about, like, if you suspect a child is being hurt, kind of take the adult out of the room for a second, you know? Yeah, and I know that doctors are being trained Mm. to recognize human trafficking. Yeah. And, like, I'm actually speaking to the Central Florida Physicians Society next month um, on human trafficking. Oh, good. And a couple months ago, I spoke at Newmore's Children's Hospital. Oh, yeah. So there is some training going on. Yes. Oh, that's, well, that's encouraging to hear. Um, I love that. So for anyone who is a mandated reporter, people who might not know what that is, hotel workers, teachers, police officers, um, anyone who's in kind of like the frontline fields with kids are considered mandated reporters. 
can you talk about maybe some signs that a child would display if they're being trafficked or you know abused at home yeah of course there's gonna be like signs of physical abuse mm. a lot of times yeah they're gonna be very isolated and they'll probably like if you ask any type of questions it's gonna be yes or no questions mm. if there's somebody with them that doesn't appear to be a parent a lot of times that person is going to speak for the child. Yep. And then, like, for me, if a child's not wanting to go home, mm. that's a big sign that something's yeah. happening. Mm. Something else I read, and maybe you can attest to this, was a big behavioral change. Like, if you, say, at the beginning of the school year, you have this kid who's happy and outgoing, and they're getting straight A's, and then all of a sudden they are withdrawn and they start failing or they start skipping school... Do you think that maybe? Yeah, could that's be definitely a sign. Yeah, and then also if a child all of a sudden comes to school with very expensive items, mm. um, all the time, new clothes, expensive shoes, yeah. jewelry, that type of thing, mm. it's also a sign of possible trafficking. Yeah, and another tip I saw also was I think this would maybe be like more type middle school age kids but if there's like a young child who has like a way older like if there's like a 14 year old dating like a 27 year old yes oh that's my boyfriend like that obviously could be something yes something to look out for because that book that I read um girls like us a lot of the girls there I mean in that book it was dealing about the commercial sex industry where they called them like their they were technically their pimp or you know I guess you could still say trafficker but most of those girls who were rescued considered their pimp their boyfriend they're like yeah. oh no no he's he's not trafficking me we do this together because this is my boyfriend so yeah. they just they have them so mentally warped that it's like they don't even recognize until a year like you did years later that hey wait a minute that was not okay what was being done to me yeah they call them romeo pimps, yes. pimps because they romance them yep exactly so like i was saying at the beginning of this like you have been just so brave and like all this work that you're doing it's just been incredible i can't even imagine what it must have taken for you to, you know, how much courage for you to kind of muster up to be like, okay, not only am I going to share my story, but in very public platforms, I mean, on the news and documentaries, you're speaking at the physicians groups. I think that's amazing. So something that you have actually done that I think a lot of other survivors maybe haven't gone down this avenue is that you've actually helped work with some legislation. So can you kind of talk about what, what you've been able to do in like the legal sphere? Yeah, I got involved with legislation in 2018 mm. where we tried to pass a bill that would allow survivors of human trafficking to sue hotels mm. if they knew that trafficking was happening and they turned a blind eye to it. Yeah. Which it would be very hard to prove, but mm. it would make hotels more likely to report it if they saw it. And it would, of course, also require hotels to be trained to recognize human trafficking. Yeah. But there, we had a big opposition with that bill, mm. which was Disney. They had their lobbyists who were working behind the scenes to kill that bill. And we made it, it passed every Senate and House meeting or committee, made it to the floor, mm. and Disney worked overnight and the bill was killed last minute. Wow. I don't know if you know how how in-depth of information you have about that, but why why do you think that is? 
they felt like there was going to be a lot of frivolous lawsuits and they like their lobbyists told us that they want to create their own legislation so I worked with Senator Book and Representative Fitzenhagen throughout the year, mm-hmm. and we wrote a new bill mm-hmm. that we took out the lawsuit part because that's not the important part. Yeah. And we made it to where hotels would have to train their staff to recognize and report human trafficking. Mm-hmm. And we also it created a direct support organization that would raise funds for the statewide council on human trafficking. Oh, okay. And it also required more training for law enforcement, Mm. massage parlors, doctors, the Florida Apartment Association, their members. And it also created a database for people who buy and sell sex. Really? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Now, is is that database, can the public access that, or is that something that's only in partnership with law enforcement? It's only for law enforcement. Oh, okay. But that will help with tracking human trafficking yep. and possibly getting convictions when yeah. traffickers are caught, especially yeah. if they've had prior convictions. Mm. And they would stay in the database for five years, okay. and if they don't commit another crime within that time, they would be taken off. Mm. But if they do, they will be on it for the rest of their life. Oh, okay. I wonder, is there some sort of way, because my personal opinion is they should stay on that forever. Like, that should be, you know, like that, the scarlet letter, like that should totally be like, nope, this is you, you did that. Is there a way, is there any sort of plan to maybe make it more permanent? Because five years, I mean, it's a long time, but really, in the scope of things, if they have a crime and then they wait five years and then they there's more children that can be yeah nice. and just because they don't get arrested or charged oh, doesn't mean doesn't it's mean not happening not. yes but that law it goes into effect in january 2021 oh, okay so i'm sure that once they see how it's working yeah and if it's beneficial like we mm. are pretty sure it's going to be yeah then i'm sure they will rewrite yep write it to extend it yeah I think that's awesome. There's this website called Family Watchdog. Yeah. Yeah, that one. I actually was looking on that the other day. It's crazy. Like, it'll show you. There's in not in my neighborhood specifically, but within, like, three or four miles of my house. I mean, yeah. there's, there's offenders all around me. And even near schools, I'm like, oh, gosh. It's one of those things that, like, you want to know, but then again, you kind of don't want to know. Because yeah. then, like, every time I drive down that road, I'll be like, oh, geez, there's a predator who lives here. Yeah. But I'm, I'm happy that they have that. So... I think that what you're doing is absolutely amazing, and I can't even imagine the countless number, because I think the, I don't know the specific number, but I think it's something with each trafficker victimizes how many kids in their lifetime? I think it was like 150 or something. I it's like a it's, ridiculous yeah. number. Do you, do you have a better number for that? No, I think that might be right. If, a lot of times they have more than one at a time. Yes. Yep. And also they maybe could be in partnership with another, you know, yeah. trafficker. And so they kind of pull the girls together. Like, because you see all the time on the news, like, these, like, they bust a trafficking ring. And it's, like, 10 or 20 traffickers. So if you can imagine how, much, how many girls that is, I yeah. it's like, cool. So something else that I really, really loved about your story was that you kind of bring it to light that it's happening right here in our community. Because, you, you know, you and I were talking about this before we started taping. 
when people think of human trafficking, they think of the movie Taken and like these dramatic stories where a girl goes on vacation and then just never comes home or someone's walking down the street and they just get stolen. And of course those do happen, but you're kind of bringing it to light that it's happening in our communities, it's happening even in our homes. So anyone who maybe has like this Hollywood-esque version of human trafficking, can you just kind of speak to? Yeah, um, well, familial trafficking, mm. where a family member traffics a child, that is one of the most common forms of sex trafficking Ugh. in America. Wow. They're finding that it's happening more and more. Wow. It just, it's more likely to be underreported because mm. it is family. Yeah. And most of the time, like we all know the stranger danger term, but most of the time somebody is trafficked by a person that they know, whether they meet them online, with social media, or at a mall, Mm. that person becomes friends with them and they learn to trust them Mm. before they start being trafficked. And the U.S. is becoming one of the leading places for human trafficking. Yes. And Florida, for the last several years, has ranked third in the nation for calls to the human trafficking hotline. Mm, That's crazy. I think Polaris Project? Yeah. Did the... They showed you the map? Yeah. And Florida is just clobbered. There is just like dot, 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 dot. I was looking at the map, and I think it was like Arizona or some some state over there, and I was like, I'm moving there. They only have one dot. <laughs> I live in Florida. This is a hot spot for it. I mean, of course, it probably, like you said, it probably happens, but it's just being underreported. Yeah. Because something that I've been kind of becoming more aware of is the victims are scared to come forward. Yeah. Um, people can specifically ask them, like, are you okay? And they're going to deny it. So can you talk about maybe some of, like, were you manipulated into if you say anything, this will happen, or you know that kind of the threats or anything like that? Did that happen in your circumstance? Yeah, at first I didn't talk mainly because like from the time I was five years old, I yeah. was told you don't talk about what happens at home. Mm. But then also I would do anything I could to make my mom happy and to want me, mm. and so that was another part of why I never spoke. But then also. Between the age of 11 and 13, I watched my trafficker murder two people who tried to help me. And I was told that if I ever told anybody, I would be buried next to them. Wow. Were your traffickers ever, and even your mom, did anybody go to jail for this stuff that happened to you? The guy that was sexually abusing me when I was five, Mm. he ended up going, but not because my parents reported it. It was because another person... Like, it was one of my cousins that it happened to both of us, and his mom mm. reported it. Okay. Um, but as far as my trafficker and all those people, the people from foster care, mm. and my mom, like, nobody's ever been prosecuted because wow. I was too afraid to talk about it. Mm. And, like, I was always told that it was my fault. I would be in trouble if I told... Um, like I would be in, I would be charged with prostitution. So I was always too afraid to tell anybody what happened because I didn't know what would happen to me even Mm. when I was older. And so it wasn't until I learned what human trafficking was that I realized that what, that's what happened to me and I wouldn't be in trouble if I talked about it. Yeah. So by then, like it had been so many years, 
I have been working with law enforcement who's trying to find my trafficker, mm. but it's difficult because when I was with him, like, I only know him by the name he went by. Oh, yeah. The house where he lived doesn't exist. It burnt down a couple of years ago. Mm. So for them to figure out who he is, it's been difficult. Yeah. Who, who was it that tried to help you? It was actually people who came to buy me. And then they realized how young I was. Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Do you think maybe they found, was it through an ad that they thought it was an adult, and then once they saw you, you think they realized? Well, I think then it was mostly word of mouth because my traffickers were also drug dealers. Mm. And so people they've talked to or found at a bar or something. Yeah. But I don't know that they ever told them how young I was. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it makes me so sad for those people because it's like, I mean, they were doing the wrong thing in the first place, but that they tried to help you. It's like they it had a little bit of redemption in them. And so I'm like, did I just feel bad for their families. Did they ever, their families never reported them or anything like I'm that? I'm not sure. I met with a couple of homicide detectives a couple years ago mm-hmm. and they ended up making me go to the scene, mm-hmm. like where they were buried and it was too much for me. Oh, oh my gosh. The fact that you even agreed to go was... Well, they didn't really give me an option. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say that's definitely... I don't think people realize how much it really takes for a victim to step forward. And so in your case, to go back, like, I'm, I can't imagine what that must have been like. Yeah, and, like, there was so much shame involved. Mm. Like, I never wanted anybody to know what happened to me. Oh, of course me. not, yeah. And even when I realized... Well, even when I started going to counseling... My therapist wanted me to go to a support group for survivors of sexual assault. And I didn't want to go because I didn't want anybody to know. Mm. So I went to one that was over an hour away from me. That way I knew that nobody would know me. I will not know anyone here. (laughs) And it was like that ended up becoming the best thing for me because I realized everything I felt was so wrong with me Mm. was normal for what I'd been through. Yes. And even though they weren't trafficked, a lot of the same things I dealt with, they also dealt with. Yeah. And so now a couple of my best friends were for, are from that group. Aww. And I was with them when I learned what human trafficking was. Wow. We were listening to a survivor share her story. Mm. And I remember saying to them, I would never get up and share my story. Mm. And then over time, I started sharing with people here and there. Yeah. And then it led to speaking... And when I first started, I didn't share a whole lot because I was still not comfortable and still dealing with the shame. But it's helped me to, it's been kind of therapeutic for Mm. me to see the good that's coming from all the bad things. You're so right. There's something so beautiful about going through something so hard, but being able to help others. Yeah. It doesn't, I don't want to say it makes it worth the pain because you still, obviously if you and I had time machines, we would go back and like make that not happen. I feel like anytime you go through something hard and you're able to help people, it does. It brings good out of the bad. I think it's Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He literally takes bad stuff and uses it for glory. So It's actually kind of funny that you said, like, I will not share my story. And then you're, like, all over the news and doing documentaries and stuff. Well, and I remember, like, when I was in foster care and I felt like there's no hope, 
Like I remember wanting to know somebody who had been through something mm. similar as me. Yes. And was doing well because yes. I didn't think it was possible. Because mm. unfortunately, I mean, I have a cousin who was abused as a child, not trafficked per se, but definitely um, by a family member. It was just like a continual abuse, and once you know, he obviously got arrested, but years later she ended up committing suicide and I found that that you know women who have been trafficked a lot of times they use drugs to keep the girls there yeah. and so they have these drug addictions and so sometimes they overdose or it's not common I feel like to see people like you who actually are really doing good so yeah well and, and unfortunately the survival statistic mm. is only five to seven years so a lot of people, if they're never mm. coming out of that, they're normally dead within five to seven years. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. I actually, like I said in my other episode, I have a friend who is a survivor and you, so now I know two people that are <laughs> doing great. So that's yes. an encouragement to everyone. If there's someone listening right now who maybe was victimized or is currently being victimized, but they're scared to step forward, do you have any sort of encouragement that you can offer these ladies? Um, or men, sorry, I should clarify. Men can be trafficked too. Just that there is hope mm. and that no matter what's happened to you, it doesn't have to define you. Yeah. And you can move forward and get help and have people there to encourage you and support you mm. and make sure you're safe. Yeah. One thing that I also want to mention is that I heard somewhere, actually from several different sources, that... Let's say you're out and you see a child or a victim with their trafficker, that oftentimes it's not safe to intervene right in that moment. What would you say would be the best way for if someone suspects something? What do you think? Well, if you're out in public and you see something that you think is human trafficking, the best thing to do right then and there would be call 911. Yes. But if you hear about something or it's a situation where you see the person quite often Mm. the best thing to do would be to call the human trafficking hotline Mm. and report it that way and they will get the local authorities involved Mm. and then that's also tracked in the national database yeah and the good thing about that is i believe you can provide the tip anonymously correct okay i don't know that you can do it with the police oh yeah definitely with with hotline yeah yep that's something that i heard i did a training online and that's one thing that they were very they were very certain about was don't just run up and try to grab the kid you know that's obviously more yeah. dangerous oh and one other thing mm-hmm. if it is a child it's best to call the abuse hotline mm. instead of the, the trafficking hotline yeah because they will report to the human trafficking hotline mm. but if it's a minor it has like they will send out the investigators and get the authorities involved oh okay And also, I can put both of those phone numbers in the show notes. I have them listed in my house, so I can do that. Well, just as far as anything else you wanna, anything else you wanna share? Anything that we didn't touch on that you feel like is important? The main thing is just if you see something happening, report it. Mm. Because a lot of times, victims aren't gonna ask for help. Oh, yeah. And, like, I feel like if somebody had reported it when Mm. I was 11 or even 12, I wouldn't have been trafficked as long as I was, wow. and I wouldn't have had all of the physical complications from it or mm. the emotional. Yeah, it definitely could have. It could have stopped it years, yeah. years in advance, right? Yeah. Yep. 
So I don't know, because of your situation, I don't know what would be the best way, but if people wanted to connect with you, maybe a survivor who wanted to, you know, kind of how you said some of your best friends you met at that support group. So maybe if a survivor just needs someone to kind of fellowship with or if somebody just wants to reach out and just say how awesome you are, because that's what I did. I'm like, I just need to tell you how brave you are. I'm so proud of you. What would be the best way for people to connect with you if they wanted to reach out? Well, I do have a website, which is just my name. I don't know if you could put the spelling on that. Oh, yeah, of course. And also social media. Yep. Awesome. Very cool. Well, I just want to say um, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you again. I know that this this story is going to help so many people and even just provide education and awareness to the whole issue. So thank you for the work you're doing. And all right, we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you for listening to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope today's story left you feeling encouraged and inspired. Come back every other Thursday for a new episode and be sure to subscribe. Your support makes a world of a difference, especially for a new and bi-weekly podcast like this one. If you want to connect with me on social, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook at The Encourageous Podcast. Until next time, stay encourageous. Thank you.